This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Rico Bronia time. And it's not just any Rico Bronia. It's our big off-season plan edition of Rico Bronia. I'll lay out my off-season plan for the Mets. Pete will lay out his off-season plan for the Mets. We've got special dignitaries who have recorded audio clips with their off-season plan for the Mets. And we appreciate all the emails we've received over the last week at therecob at gmail.com with everybody's off-season plan. I do admit there are a few repetitive ideas that I think we all have. So, for example, if you go into this Rico Bronia playing the drinking game that anytime the name Yamamoto is mentioned, you have to take a shot you may be wasted 15 minutes into the podcast because I think everybody wants Yamamoto. So I do warn you, there are some ideas that all of us share, but there are a lot of ideas that we kind of differ on because there's a lot of ways to build back up this roster. But let's just start with the obvious here, which is the Mets go into this offseason with a very, very high payroll. It's already high. You know, you factor in the idea that Justin Verlander is still being paid by the New York Mets this season. The Mets are going to pay him in 2024 $26.25 million. So it's certainly a savings over what they were going to pay him if they hadn't traded him. But he's making from the Mets $26.5 million. You have to factor that in when looking at the Met payroll. Max Scherzer is making $30.8 million from the New York Mets. Just think about that for a second. The Mets are paying. Verlander and Scherzer, $56 million in 2024. And I laugh because it's well worth it, right? They were able to rid themselves of Max Scherzer. They were able to add youth and prospects and possibilities in the return that they got. And they do save money on what would be on the payroll if they hadn't traded those guys away. But we do need to keep that in mind because what I think we have to try to do with our offseason plans is keep the payroll, I'd say reasonable, even though last year's payroll was so unreasonable with how high it went. But I guess what I'm trying to say is we can't build a $400 million payroll because I'm taking the leap of faith that Steve Cohen is not going to have a $400 million payroll. So just keep in mind some of the financial commitments they have for 2024, not just Scherzer and Verlander, but they also owe James McCann $8 million in 2024 as well. So before we even get started on some of the guys that are definitely on the roster, some of the guys that may be on the roster, and then obviously all our individual ideas on who to bring in, they are spending $64 million on three guys that are not on the roster next year 
in Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, and James McCann. Now, obviously, the regulars, we know Lindor's here making $34 million, Brandon Nimmo, 20.5, Starling Marte, 20.7, Edwin Diaz, 21.2, Kodai Senga, 15.6, Jose Quintana making $13 million, Jeff McNeil, only making 10.2. Omar Narvaez exercised his option. He's making 7 million. And the Mets exercised the option on Brooks Raley. He's making 6.5. Then you've got the arbitration guys. Now, Pete Alonso is the lockiest of locks, unless they trade him, to be making kind of in that 22, $23 million range. But where they can cut the fat a little bit, and I don't mean any pun on this, or maybe I did, is Daniel Vogelback's ARB number, which is at about two and a half to $3 million. There is no way, no way in good conscience, they could bring Daniel Vogelback back for having no role on this roster and making two and a half million dollars that you can easily save by non-tendering him. Trevor Gott is a non-tender candidate. He's due $2 million. Drew Smith is a non-tender candidate making $2.3 million. Joey Lucchese at $2 million, I would definitely hold on to, but you could save $2 million there. Jeff Brigham, $1.1 million, could save some money there. There's a few options to save money, but the Mets would go into next year without making a move. No move has been made with a payroll that sits at about $270 million. Now think about that. <laughs> so my leap of faith, Pete, is that they will invest money to maybe get that payroll to 330, 340. I think some of us may be a little bit higher, who are already starting with a payroll of a right around $270 million. They can save a little bit of that on some of these non-tender candidates we mentioned. So they come in with a very high payroll, but let's face it, they come in with a lot of holes, a lot of holes. And it's not just the obvious of they've got to add three starting pitchers that we've talked a lot about. And they've got to add two or three reliable bullpen arms. I'll tell you one area that I don't think we've talked enough about going into this offseason. Don't they need to add outfielders? Right now, your sole outfielder that you can rely on is Brandon Nimmo. The only other 40-man roster outfielders, and I'll keep the prospects out of it because I don't think Drew Gilbert's going to be here on opening day. I don't think Luis Angel Acuna as an outfielder is going to be here on opening day. Jet Williams as an outfielder, he's played a lot of shortstop second base, maybe towards the end of the year. But I'm talking about right at the beginning of the season, none of those guys I mentioned in all likelihood are going to be on the roster. So you're talking about Brandon Immo, Starling Marte, and DJ Stewart. That's it. So outfielders are going to have to be a big part of this agenda as well when building up this roster. You could argue they could use a third baseman. Sure, you can go into the year with a Brett Beatty, Ronnie Mauricio competition, which David Stern sort of hint, surely hinted at, but could they use a third baseman? Yeah, and then the spot that Hoff was yelling about last year, designated hitter right now, without a move, who's the DH for the New York Mets in 2024? Uh, I guess it's Vogelback. No, no. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> it can't be. It can't be. DJ Stewart. <laughs> he could be. I think he's a guy you got to keep in mind as a possibility. So I, I lay it out this way. They need bullpen help. They need rotation help. They have to add an outfielder. They have to add an outfielder, especially because David Stearns gave us a hint at the general manager meetings. And here was the hint he gave us. 
He said that he's good with a competition. He mentioned specifically Mauricio and Beatty as third base options, not Mark Vientos, who he talked more about as being a stick and a bat and behind those two defensively. And he also said that both Mauricio and Beatty, he views at this moment as infielders and not outfielders. So we've always kept open the idea of Mauricio playing the outfield and even Beatty playing the outfield going into spring training, unless they have a change of heart based on the way this offseason goes, they are not viewing those guys as outfielders. They're viewing them as third baseman or second baseman in the case of Ronnie Mauricio. So all of that in mind as we build our offseason agenda. So I mentioned we have some dignitaries who put together some offseason plans. The producer of the fine Evident Tiki program, Tommy Lugauer, diehard Met fan, he's put together his Met offseason plan. Sal Licata, fine host on the middays with Brandon Tierney and the man who pissed a lot of Met fans off when he proclaimed that the NL East was over in 2022. And then I think he pissed Met fans off again with that whole Pete Alonso thing. So Met fans, we have a love-hate relationship with the great Sal Licata. But I'll tell you this about Sal, because I've known him for a long time. He's a great fan. He's a diehard fan. So no matter what anger you may have at him, understand that he's one of us. He is one of us. Say so he has his off-season plan, which we'll take a listen to. Mike Flegelman, who does a great job producing and hosting on WFN, another die, 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 die hard Met fan. He's got an off-season plan, plus a ton of your emails. You know where we should lead this off, Pete? The first off-season plan? Who should we, who should we lead it off? <laughs> I think we should lead it off from Sal Licata himself. All right? Okay. So All let's right. see it, because I'm curious what Sal has to say. How would he build the New York Mets offseason and build this New York Mets roster? So, ladies and gentlemen, we present to you one half of the midday show on WFAN, Sal Martinez, Robinson, Jefferson, Lakata. You really want to piss people off right away, don't you? Is that what it is? <laughs> I figure right. let's lead it off hot. Why not? All right, here he is, Sal Licata. All right, here's what I want for the Mets offseason. Really, it starts and ends with Yoshinobu Yamamoto. It, it's got to be him. I don't like any of the other pitchers out there. Not to say that I wouldn't take a flyer on back end of the rotation, guys. But as far as the top end, guys, Yamamoto is it. So if the Mets don't land Yamamoto, their offseason to me is a bust. So let's start with him. And then, you know, I think they need an impact bat. Now, is it realistic to say Shohei Otani and Yamamoto? Probably not. But I do think the Mets need an impact bat, not one that's like Cody Bellinger. I'm not to me that doesn't do enough. If they can't get Otani, then they need to go all in and try to get Juan Soto. And look, I know it sounds nuts, and that's not necessarily how you build a winning team just going to get stars. But this team in particular needs stars. So Yamamoto first and foremost. Then you could build the team out from there. And if they can't land Otani or can't trade for Soto. Uh, maybe there are lesser guys, not Bellinger, not the middle-tier guys. I want lesser guys. You know, I like a Kiermeyer, play center field, be defensive, and maybe build the team better that way. Hope to get some more development from the younger guys. The only other free agent, and, and maybe there's a trade out there that, you know, the Mets could go out there and make that I'm not uh, privy to right now. I trust Stearns to do that. But the only other guy free agency that I would like would be David Robertson. Bring him back. So if I'm going just off of free agency this offseason, I'm going to leave out Corbin Burns and things like that because that could happen, but my main focus is in free agency, and it's on Yamamoto, 
It is on Shohei Otani, and if not either of those two or not both those guys, then I would dial it down a little bit. Kiermaier in center field, David Robertson. I think those are two players with Robertson coming back to a healthier bullpen with Diaz last year. I think that's a guy that will help that bullpen tremendously, lengthen everything out there. And then with Kiermaier in center field, you know you get a true, legit center fielder, move Nimmo to a corner, and even the event that Starling Marte is not the same or hurt or whatever, and you can move McNeil out, or have McNeil on right, you have Nimmo in one of the corners, McNeil in another if you need to. I'm okay with that with a legitimate defensive center fielder, and then I'd look to make up the offense elsewhere at DH. Hopefully it's Otani and Yamamoto. If not then they got to figure out a different way to do it. But that would be for me. It would be Yamamoto, Otani, and then I'd ride it out with Pete this year because they're not going to have all three of those guys and maybe move on from Pete at the end of it because obviously Otani would be here long term. But Yamamoto, Otani, or Soto, if not, it's got to be Yamamoto and then lesser guys. But really, it all hinges for me on Yoshinobu Yamamoto. It's funny. Even though I haven't seen Yamamoto pitch, Sal hasn't seen Yamamoto pitch. Most people in the emails haven't seen Yamamoto pitch. I think we all have this, boy, they better sign him, feel to him. And I think there's a couple of reasons for it. Number one is not loving the other options, which Sal touched on. And I agree. I don't love the idea of signing Aaron Nola to a mega contract. Like Aaron Nola's reliable in terms of making starts every five days and giving you the 30, 31, 32 starts a year. But He's also up and down. He could give you a four and a half ERA. And when you're giving a guy almost $200 million, you're expecting a lot more than that. I'm certainly not bullish on Blake Snell either, based on the fact that he walks a million guys. And I think you'd be paying more for his past than what he's actually going to give you in the future. So I think not loving the rest of the starting, the high end starting pitching market. And then also, we just had such a good experience with Kodai Senga. Like sometimes. Positively and negatively, we react to what happened to us. And the fact that Kodai Senga was their most reliable starting pitcher and Yamamoto comes over with a lot more hype, and you combine that with the other free agents not being as appealing, I think most of us are going to agree with one of those things Sal said, which is Yamamoto sets the tone for this offseason. That that is, if you add him, and again, we don't know what he's going to be, but he's 25 years old. He's coming off a dominant season in Japan. There's more hype for him than even Kodai Senga. There's this sense of, wow, we've got our future ace now for the next seven or eight years. And it's going to take a big contract. I mean, it's going to take, it appears, a seven-year, $200 million deal, which comes with a lot of risk considering we've never seen the guy pitch. I'm not opposed to the idea because they have to add an outfielder. There's no question they needed to add an outfielder that going the defensive route with a Kevin Kiermaier, who is elite defensively in center, moving Nimmo more to a corner outfield spot where he's probably better off. We saw late last year when he was not 100% healthy, Buck move him over and play a little left field, and he was fine out there. And David Stearns was even asked during the general manager meetings, do you see Nimmo moving over to a corner outfield spot? And he didn't say yes, because Nimmo can still play center field. Despite his defense last year, I thought being a little bit down compared to the previous year, he's still a capable center fielder. But if you need to add an outfielder, and there's a lot of options, and we'll go through them. I have one, a few options for the outfield, not named Kevin Kiermaier. You could go that defensive route 
and sign a guy like Kevin Kiermaier, where you're not really improving the offense, but that's a pretty damn good outfield. The other problem in the outfield the Mets face, who the hell knows what you're getting from Starling Marte? There's no way to rely on him based on being unhealthy last year, being ineffective, and even now during the offseason, we don't think he's going to need another groin surgery. You don't think. What if he does? Now, let's go to some of your emails on some offseason plans. Jesse Miller, Dylan writes, my offseason plan is one or two-year deals only except for one player. No qualifying offer players. We don't block long-term spots for our prospects, and if this year goes sideways, we can sell them off for prospects at the trade deadline. Trying to make a team that will make the playoffs this year and see what happens that sets us up for the serious contention in 2025 as that's been the message we're getting. For the pitching staff, we're getting one potential star, one upside play, and one lower-tier guy. His upside guy, guess who? Yamamoto. The Or that's the star, I should say. The upside play is Luis Severino, who I've mentioned a lot. And then his lower-tier guy is either Kenta Maeda or Hin Jin Ryu. And if you want to do a six-man rotation, Brad Keller could be another option as a kind of lower level guy Hinjin Ryu I just say this off the top never healthy never ever 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 healthy like you get 10 starts out of Hinjin Ryu it's a miracle and he's only getting older so I'm, I'm editorializing a little bit I don't love the idea of Hinjin Ryu for the hitters we're bringing in some veteran leadership and a left-handed bat and a guy who's probably trying to reclaim some value and safe to say playing in New York gives him some juice and one player who New York gives no juice, all right? That's a buildup for the names he's mentioning. Joey Votto as a part-time DH. His bench hitter would be Jesse Winker. <laughs> and then Aaron Hicks as a reserve outfielder. Um, Aaron Hicks and Jesse Winker, fine. They, they need outfielders on this roster. And if you could get guys like that on that tier on a one-year deal, I really don't have an issue with it. I got to be honest with you. I do agree with him. That, especially if you're talking about players on the level of a Winker and a Hicks, even to a degree of Jock Peterson, who I wrote down as part of my plan, I want those guys on short-term deals. Now, one-year deal, give me an out. Hopefully, I get a good year out of them, whether it's for a full season, whether it's trading them at the trade deadline, or they just have a great year and help me win. Joey Votto's done. I, I just... I don't know. That's a name value kind of thing. That's a, well, he's a future Hall of Famer. He's a good guy. He's got a great personality. I don't think Joey Votto gives you anything. Uh, he goes on to talk about the bullpen. Here are some of the names he has. David Robertson, Aaron Loop, Matt Moore, Dylan Floro, and both McGill and Peterson when healthy become full-time relievers, probably in AAA. I like this one. Sign Whit Merrifield to do what Jeff McNeil does and trade McNeil for the best starting pitching prospect we can get. I'm intrigued by that one because I think McNeil, despite not having a great year last year, I think he's got good trade value just based on the contract, based on the flexibility and the contract. I don't know if you're getting a top-level pitching prospect. I know earlier in the offseason, I floated out the idea of Shane Bieber. It's probably being too asking for too much. It's probably going to cost more to get Bieber even coming off of a down year and in a contract season. But if you do trade a guy like Jeff McNeil, despite Whit Merrifield being 36 years old, he does give you that versatility 
that McNeil has. He also goes on to say, Mauricio and Beatty compete in spring training for third base. The winner gets it. The loser becomes an outfielder. If Mauricio loses, he can also mix in at second base. By the end of the season, that's probably Luis Angel Acuna's spot. Vientos gets a real run at DH to see if he can do it, not just against left-handed pitching. Lastly, and this is my favorite idea that comes from this gentleman, Jesse Miller-Dillon. Lastly, get serious about an extension for Francisco Alvarez right now. And that ain't crazy, man. The Atlanta Braves have made a cottage industry of it, and we're sitting here a year away from Pete Alonso getting to free agency. He floated out a 10-year, $100 million deal for Francisco Alvarez. I, I laugh, but it really isn't crazy. It's $10 million a year. And if Alvarez continues to grow as a player, that turns into a steal. So a lot of good ideas there from Jesse Miller, Dylan. I think he's on the right page of three starting pitchers. I, I mentioned this when we were doing our starting pitching podcast. I like the idea of the almost sure thing or the star power guy the high upside guy, and then the reliable innings eater guy. And when I laid it out for the starting pitching podcast, my three guys that fit that were Yamamoto, Luis Severino, and Kyle Gibson. You can go a lot of different ways there. And Severino's going to get a one-year big money deal. It's probably going to be less than that. Um, the, the um, Oh, my God. I'm having a brain fart. The, um, the qualifying offer. Thank you. No one actually gave it to me. I'm thanking myself. No one's speaking in my head. I was I was thinking about it, but I didn't know what the hell you were talking about. I'm sorry. <laughs> qualifying offer. There it is. Nailed he's it. not he's not getting the qualifying offer. I don't think Severino's signing for twenty million dollars, but I would say one year fifteen million. One year fourteen million, kind of in that range. Thank you though for the email. We appreciate it. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Dunn King writes, Dunn King's got one. Evan Pete, I know as a fan that the moves we want to need to be feasible and reasonable. 2023's payroll was around $370 million. I believe the front office will try and lower that payroll from 2023 levels. Obviously, there's some contracts like Scherzer, Verlander, McCann, Nito, et cetera, that will be paid out to a player that isn't even on the team. A comfortable threshold for me right now is $325 million. Currently, the Mets have a projected payroll with guaranteed contracts of $190 million for 2024, with Rally's option being picked up and out of declining. That leaves about 135 in breathing room. That number, I don't think it includes Pete Alonso, because I think if you include a lot of the arbitration guys, that number gets a lot higher than $190 million, especially when you include the money owed to Max Scherzer and Justin Verler. I think it's more in the twos. Anyhow. We'll go through some of Don's uh, ideas. The guys to keep, the non-tender pre-arbitration guys. Keep Alonzo, $22 million, David Peterson, Joey Lucchese, DJ Stewart, Coonrod. That adds up to about $30 million, giving us $290 million payroll. That would mean guys like Drew Smith, Luis Guillorme, Daniel Vogelback, Trevor Gott, et cetera, 
all gone. I hate to lose Guillaume because he's a valuable piece. And that number that he's making salary-wise, like a million and a half, it's not that high. But I get it. Pre-Arby keeps Tyler McGill, Francisco Alvarez, Penn Murphy, who they just claimed, Sean Bickford, Phil Bickford, and then get rid of Sean Reed Foley. Payroll's up to 225. While I believe Alonzo is probably extended, I'd rather trade him. How about that? The Orioles are the perfect fit as they can use Alonzo as their DH first base option with Ryan Mountcastle. So he puts together a trade in which Alonzo and Beatty go to Baltimore for Heston, Kerstead, D.L. Hall, and Colton Kowser. Colton Kowser was in the majors for about, I'd say, a month this past year and was absolutely brutal. That deal, that doesn't feel like enough. You're trading Pete Alonzo and Brett Beatty? That's not enough. And if you tell me, well, they can't get more, then don't trade them. I also find it really hard to compete this year if you're taking away that kind of slugger. Now, you're signing Shohei Otani to replace him? Okay, fine. Then I guess I can see it, even though you're replacing one slugger for another as opposed to building on your team. You trade Alonzo, even for a good package of prospects, very difficult to compete this year. Next, he'd make a trade for Hunter Harvey and Brandon Finnegan. We mentioned those names as potential trade targets in exchange for Mark Vientos and Dominic Hamill. So you want to trade Vientos and a starting pitching prospect in Hamill for Harvey and Finnegan. Uh, I I don't know what Vientos turns out to be. Vientos could be an interesting guy to move in the right deal for bullpen help. That actually drops the Met payroll to $225 million. That allows him this move in free agency. Starting pitching. Stearns brought up the idea of a six-man rotation. I'd sign Yamamoto to an eight-year, $200 million deal, which sounds about right. Lucas Giolito to a two-year, $30 million deal with a club option. Sign Trevor Bauer to a one-year, $10 million deal. The team could also use one more dominant reliever. I'd sign Josh Hader to a five-year, $100 million deal, and I'd add these bats, J.D. Martinez on a one-year, $15 million deal, and Jock Peterson on a one-year, $12 million deal. That brings your payroll to $303 million. Rotation of Senga, Yamamoto, Giolito, Bauer, Quintana, and then a lineup of Kerstad at first base in the Alonzo trade. McNeil at second, Lindor at short, Mauricio at third, uh, Alvarez behind the plate, an outfield of Marte, Nimmo, Jock Peterson, J.D. at DH, and a bullpen of Edwin Diaz and Josh Hader, which is pretty good. That's it. It's it's interesting because his all- his allotment of funds is heavy on, let's buy another closer, let's buy the ace starting pitcher, which we all want in Yamamoto, but let's also buy Giolito Bauer and not really go as aggressive financially into the lineup. I mean, J.D. Martinez is probably going to cost more than $15 million, but I guess what scares me about that whole plan is, yeah, you've built a potentially dominant bullpen of Hader and Diaz, but you're taking Alonzo out of that lineup, and you're replacing him to me with two guys, one in J.D. Martinez, who was brilliant last year, but he's getting older. Like, I don't know if we're going to see J.D. Martinez repeat the production of a year ago. I know Pete is, because Pete does it every year. Jock Peterson's kind of been up and down. It's not like he's a 40-home run guy anymore, and preferably he's not going to play against left-handed pitching. So 
I think you did a good job with the rotation. You were very aggressive with the bullpen getting Hater. I'm not convinced that works since Hater is like allergic to pitching in any other inning but the ninth inning. But I do think you weaken your lineup by taking Pete out of it. And you better hit on those prospects. What do you think of that plan, Pete? Well, listen, I will say this much. I was all in on J.D. Martinez last year. I'm not in on him this year because I think he's going to cost too much, and he's with the back issue. I think he's got back issues, if I'm correct. That's what the issue. That's why I went on the IL last year. But I just, I'm not as confident that he can redo what he did last year. So I'm not on that. But I do love something, and this is part of my plan. The Trevor Bauer deal, no one's talking about. I don't think you have to give the guy ten million dollars. I think you can give him less and he'll sign with the Mets because I think that most teams don't want to really touch him right now. You'll get him for a steal, and that's the high risk, low, you know, or low risk, high reward type of thing. He's not going to cost a lot. And if you look at what he did the past couple of years in, in the majors before his suspension, he was one of the best pitchers in the league. Yeah, so Trevor Bauer went on this campaign to clear his name from the accusations that went on against him that caused him to be suspended for an ungodly amount of games. My view on why I wouldn't touch Trevor Bauer has nothing to do with that. He has cleared his name to a degree from the accusations, but the reason I wouldn't touch Trevor Bauer is I think like nobody in the locker room is going to want to be a teammate with him. Like He's not loved around Major League Baseball. And he also brings so much unneeded attention around himself that for a guy that you're buying on a one-year deal to kind of stabilize this rotation, it just brings so much unneeded attention that I think can hurt a locker room. You know, I did hear Mookie Betts, though, which was stunning. He was the one player I've heard come out talking about him positively, saying he was a really good teammate. But I've heard so much the other way about him being a pain in the ass and guys that people don't like. So. My trepidation with Trevor Bauer isn't even getting into what he was accused of because he was able to, for the most part, clear himself of that. It's more that he's just a jackass. You know, and I, I don't know if I want to deal with it. I get that there's an upside. I get it. The guy was damn good when he was pitching in 2020 and parts of 2021. But for me, I just don't want to deal with it. All right. But first of all, you won't because you're not on the team. That's the first thing. Yeah, but we so deal more... with it. Just because we're not in a locker room doesn't mean we don't deal with it. Okay, but here, but here's the real deal, right? Like, I, I, every team has issues. I mean, look at Jeff McNeil and Francisco Lindor. You could tell me as much it's as not you the want. Same. I know it's not the same, it's but you could tell me as much. They fought in the they fought in the dugout. They fought well, they fought the, the, the hallway. That's not the same as a guy in Bauer who basically most of his teammates think is just like a turd. I mean, I don't know. I don't think. Well, it's listen. Hold on, hold on. Just real quickly though, that's fond of two more seconds. There was definitely toxicity in the Mets clubhouse last year. It, there definitely was something there. Whether it was Alonzo, which we don't think that's the and case. And so your plan to that is just add Bauer. Who cares? Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> oh, what's that anyway? Yeah. Let's just They're add more to it. I get you. <laughs> I mean, I don't get you, but I get you. I, I guess I kind of understand. Greg McCann, Greg's 2024 Mets offseason plan. Ah, oh, I love it. It's my favorite time of year as a Mets fan. 
Well, I've done this every offseason for the past 30 years. This is the first time I'm publicly sharing my offseason wish list for our favorite team. So let's get started. I'm glad that we can publicly air Greg's offseason plan. Let me start by saying Jeff McNeil is my favorite current player. As a kid, it was Keith Hernandez. As I go to my first Mets game, which was in 1983, Mets Pirates, I still had visions of Kent DeColvey on the mound with tinted glasses and that ugly striped Pirates hat watching from the load section Chase Stadium on the first baseline. That said, and as much as it kills me, I would trade Jeff McNeil in the right deal. Just like when your girlfriend dumps you, you want the person to go as far away as possible so you're not reminded of the heartbreak. My first deal is trading Jeff and Drew Smith to the Seattle Mariners. Given the lack of pen we currently have, my return for McNeil would be relievers Justin Topa and Andres Munez. Both are solid right-handed arms and controllable for three to five years. Andres Munez is nasty. So I don't want to discount this too much because Munoz was excellent and would be a great fit for this bullpen. I have a tough time trading Jeff McNeil for a relief pitcher. That's just me. Like as good and as young as that is, I I would hesitate to trade Jeff McNeil for a relief pitcher. But hey, this guy's trading his favorite player for two relief pitchers. Oh, could I just now cuz a lot of people now are getting to this Jeff McNeil stuff. Yeah. And I'm not close to that. I'm very much open and I'm okay with that. Because I think that you can get a second baseman somewhere else. Like someone mentioned with Merrifield. I'm not saying that with Merrifield, the guy. We also have Mauricio on the team, too. That, like, I know McNeil's versatility is nice, but there's other things we could do rather than put a not complete second baseman out in the, out in the outfield to play. Cause I mean, that's eventually what's going to happen. McNeil's one of those, like, utility guys right now. And here's the other thing is the one thing that's hurt us most. Last year, it's the bullpen. If you have an opportunity, listen, I wasn't saying Seattle. I was looking more at Pittsburgh. It's like throwing a package together to get freaking Bednar. Yeah, no, I. this is my own issue. <laughs> because, obviously, Topa, who had a very good year last year, he's older, though, so I don't, I'm not as excited about him. Munoz, I'd be excited about because he's 24 years old. He's nasty as hell. Well, that would add to your bullpen and give it great depth. Jeff McNeil won a batting title two years ago. Jeff McNeil is not just a second baseman who can play the outfield. He plays the outfield damn well. And I think we're underrating what kind of player he is. So I'm open to trading him. I'm open to anything right now to improve this roster. And I think he's going to have a lot of value. And I think the Mariners are a great example of a team that would have interest in Jeff McNeil. They have interest in acquiring a second baseman, whether it's Glaber Torres or Jeff McNeil. I'm just being honest with you, man. Bullpen help, a 32-year-old reliever, and another reliever, even though he's a lot younger, That I would do it for a starter. I'd do it for a middle towards front end of the rotation starter if it could be had. I don't know if I'm doing it for bullpen help. I know you would because you said Bednar, right? I, I, I don't know if I would. But, hey, Greg would, and he's a big Jeff McNeil guy. And he mentions, my heart would be broken. <laughs> Let's move on to trade number two. This trade would bolster the outfield, help with run prevention, and offer a left-handed power bat to protect Pete in the lineup. The Mets would deal Brooks Raley and Mark Vientos to the Twins for Max Kepler. Left-handed bat with pop, very solid defensively in right field. He's got one year, $10 million left on the deal. That's a very, very creative trade. 
And I'm good with that. As valuable as Rayleigh can be, like I just said about relievers and not wanting to trade McNeil for two relievers, if you could turn a reliever and Mark Vientos into, not that I want to make Max, Max Kepler out to be, you know, Barry Bonds or anything like that, but this team can use an outfielder. I mean, there's no question about it. And if you can get a left-handed bat with that kind of pop, 24 home runs, 36 a few years ago, solid defensively, uh, yeah, I would make that trade. I think that's a very creative trade. I sign off on that one. Now let's open up Mr. Cohen's wallet and sign some players. There you go. Let's start in the pen now that Rally's a twin. My first choice to replace him, Matt Moore. Solid lefty vet. You can get on a two-year deal. Will Smith. Well, Will Smith should be signed anyway because he's the good luck charm. Whoever has him wins the World Series. So no matter what, they should sign Will Smith. Will Smith, Andrew Chafin, if available, are my fallbacks here. Bring back David Robertson on a one-year deal with a second-year team option, obviously with a full no-trade clause this time. (laughs) Then as much as you would disagree, bring in Craig Kimbrell on a one-year deal with a year-two option. Both Kimbrell and Robertson are set-up options and can close if something goes wrong with Diaz. That gives us a Diaz, Robertson, Kimbrell, Moore, Topa, Munoz, Gott, McGill, Bullpen. Yes, Miguel, he's the long man here, proved to be good three to four inning pitcher, and then he blows up after that. Next, I'm signing Adam Duvall to be the primary DH on a one-year $9 million deal. We so wanted Adam Duvall last year. I remember that being like the last gasp right-handed bat. We wanted to see them add. And yeah, I would do it again. I would do it again. Problem is, can he stay healthy? That's the biggest question with Adam Duvall. He was very good in Boston last year, 834 OPS. Now the main course. There's a few ways to look at this rotation. Obviously, Yamamoto's a must and our priority target. I would go eight years, 225 to close the deal. With that said, I agree with the six-man rotation, given we now have two Japanese pitchers. The evidence has shown so far that these guys perform better with more rest between starts. Next up, Jordan Montgomery. Four years, $100 million. I think he's going to get more. I got to tell you, I think Jordan Montgomery is getting over $100 million. Uh, but Greg goes on to say, I think he could be a potential number two and develop into a workhorse. Lastly, I'm going Sonny Gray. Wow, he is spending big. <laughs> He's getting Yamamoto, Montgomery, and Gray. Sonny Gray, too talented not to perform here, and I think his time with the Yankees may prepare him to play in better in New York this time. I'd go short-term, big AAV. How about two years, $60 million? It may be an overpay, but I don't think Mr. Cohen will mind. That gives us a rotation of Yamamoto, Senga, Montgomery, Gray, Quintana, and then Lucchese Urbudo as the number six. Solid all around. I'm almost done, I swear. Oh, he's got more. For position players, we'll have Marte, Nimmo, Kepler, lefty uh, to right with the outfield. Duval is the backup in the outfield. Beatty, Lindor, Mauricio, Alonso Alvarez in the infield with Narvaez and Guillaume as the backups. Duval backs up at first base. Overall, it's a very solid roster with flexibility and options. And yes, no Otani. As much as as much as I love him here, I just don't see it happening. Happy offseason. Let's go bleeping mess. All right, good job, Greg. A lot of creative ideas on that one. I I hesitate to trade McNeil for relievers, but I give you credit. You build a hell of a bullpen. That's a very deep bullpen you put together. I, I would be very surprised, as much as we love Steve's wallet, if they're buying all that. 
Sonny Gray, Jordan Montgomery, and Yamamoto, I would be stunned by that. And unfortunately, I think that kind of pitch, just specifically to the starting pitchers he mentioned, that's the kind of offseason that I just don't think is realistic. I don't. You know, I think he'll spend on Otani because he's unique, because he's a he's box office. I don't know if he's going to go out there and spend the kind of money you would take to sign Sonny Gray, Jordan Montgomery, and Yamamoto, but some pretty good ideas. Appreciate that email. Now, let's listen to one of our other dignitaries. How about the fine producer of the show I host every single day with Tiki Barber, Evan, and Tiki, the somewhat obnoxious but somewhat lovable Loogie in the mix, Tommy Lugauer. Yo, it's Tommy Lugauer. Loogie, Evan <laughs> forced, I mean made, I mean asked if I would speak to you, the loyal Rico Bronia podcast listener, about what I would do if I were the Mets in the offseason. To me, number one top priority is signing Yamamoto. He's young, he's a stud, and he fills their biggest need, which is bringing in a guy to pair with Senga at the top of the rotation. That, to me, or even over Otani, this is the number one priority for Stearns, for Steve Cohen in the Mets offseason. They must, they have to, absolutely 1,000% sign Yamamoto. Number two, and this one's going to be unpopular, I would trade Jeff McNeil. As a fan, I'm sick and tired of his act. I don't want to see the guy pop up to second base and throw his helmet, throw a bat, throw a water cooler. I'm tired of it. I think they do need to mix things up a little bit in the locker room, in the clubhouse. I would trade Jeff McNeil. I think his best days are behind him. I think his skills are only going to erode as he continues through his 30s here. I would trade, and I know it's going to be unpopular because I do think he's a likable Met. I do think a lot of Met fans do like Jeff, but I would trade Jeff McNeil. Number three, they got to fill third base, whether it's internally with Beatty, with Mauricio, with Vientos, whether it's trading Jeff McNeil for a third baseman, whether it's looking at a free agent at third base, they have to figure out what they are doing at third base. Number four, I'm bringing back David Robertson. He spoke late in the year about wanting to come back to the Mets, about being open to coming back to the Mets. You have Robertson, you have Diaz, and we have what we dreamed about going into this season which is two legit dudes coming out of that bullpen, Diaz and Robertson. And of course, how could I not bring up Otani? He's the apple, no pun intended, of Steve Cohen's eye. Obviously, if he wants to play out on the East Coast, the Mets are going to offer him the most amount of money. I think he will be a Met in that case if he does want to play in the East Coast. I still think Yamamoto is the number one priority, but of course... You sign a generational player if you ever get that opportunity. And Shohei is a guy that comes around once every 100 years. He's that dynamic. You're essentially signing two players. I'm going with the assumption that after this injury, he will be back to pitching again. He's an amazing hitter. He's an amazing pitcher. He's the best player in baseball because he could do both things. But number one, and I can't hammer this point across enough, the number one priority, the number one top guy on the Tommy Lugauer Lugie list here for the Mets to go after in the offseason is Yamamoto. It's amazing. That, that is the one thing every Med fan agrees on. Yamamoto, Yamamoto, Yamamoto. How depressed are we going to be if they don't get Yamamoto, by the way? Uh, everybody wants him. Well, how, how depressed are we going to be if he goes to the Yankees? Yes. <laughs> Well, there are two things to keep in mind about Yamamoto and what he wants. Obviously, the Mets could offer him the biggest contract, and I think that would give us confidence that he would come here. But there are guys out there 
who don't necessarily sign for the biggest contract. There were two threats that the Yankees have, two threats that they pose over the New York Mets. Number one, and this has been talked about before in the past, that there are some Japanese baseball players that don't want to necessarily share a team with another Japanese star. And it's based on a respect factor. Kodai Seng has openly said he wants Yamamoto to come here and would help recruit him. So obviously that's not an issue for Kodai, but it very well could be an issue for Yamamoto. It could be an issue for Shohei Otani. If that's the case, what can you do? I mean, Kodai Seng is on the team. You're not getting rid of him. It's not going anywhere. So if that's a real thing for Yamamoto, then that's a threat. I mean, you can't change that. The second thing the Yankees have is they have this long history, specifically with Hideki Matsui and Masahiro Tanaka, of players from Japan coming over here, succeeding, and then kind of making that Yankee brand, which is a big brand to begin with, more impressive over in Japan than even just all the championships that they've won. So Yamamoto could be a guy who grew up with a Tanaka poster on his wall. We don't know. With the dream being of being a New York Yankee. We just don't know. You don't know the preference. So it's a real threat. I don't think we should have an arrogance, a Steve Cohen pocketbook arrogance that there's no way he would go there. And we do have to prepare for the possibility he doesn't. Now, I mentioned earlier the starting pitching market to me as a big drop off because I don't believe in NOLA. I don't believe in Blake Snell. And by the way, when I say I don't believe in NOLA, I believe in NOLA. I just think he's he is what he is. He'll give you 32 starts a year. He could also give you a four and a half ERA. I think the better options come from the trade market. We've already heard that the Brewers are willing to listen on everybody. The problem is I'm not in love with trading prospects from this organization for guys who are a year away from being a free agent. Corbin Burns is a year away from being a free agent. Shane Bieber is a year away from being a free agent. Like, yes, I love Corbin Burns. Yes, I love Shane Bieber. But am I willing to give up a treasure trove of prospects for a one-year rental? It's kind of the same thing with Juan Soto. We mentioned earlier when Sal was doing his off-season request list, Juan Soto is going to get to free agency. So you're going to give up a horde of prospects for a one-year rental in a season in which it's a year you want to compete, but it's not a, hey, we're going all in, balls to the wall kind of year. Let's get a very different perspective on this offseason from Anthony Laporte. Anthony Laporte writes, the Met offseason plan, here's what it should be. You asked, I answered. This is the plan until June 30th, 2024, where it can be adjusted depending on need. All right, so there's a plan until right around July 1st. Trade Jeff McNeil for pitching slash prospects. Okay. Number two, sign no new free agents. How about that one? That, see, that's completely different from every other Met fan. Number three, have Carlos Mendoza build a team out of what we have in the organization. Number four, have the nine potential pitchers in the system, less the injured Peterson, fill out a six-man rotation, including bullpen games. Build the team the way Houston did, from the inside. Altuve, Bregman, Alvarez, Tucker, Pena. Build the team the way the Diamondbacks did, on grit, guile, and effort. Do not sign any starters. 
Nola is a Philly and a mediocre 4.50 ERA. Blake Snell is a moron. (laughs) Remember his anti-vax statements. I don't remember his anti-vax statements. I remember him calling calling COVID the Rona, and it pissed a few people off. I remember Beningo being like, wait, this guy called it the Rona? Like, wait, what are we doing here? (laughs) Uh so okay, smell is Blake Snell's a moron, and he has the personality of a dork knob, and would be a total New York City fail. <laughs> Do not sign an injured Shohei Otani or pouty, grumpy, undermotivated, disinterested jerk Juan Soto. This team is hamstrung by its current payroll and dead money obligations, and it does not play complimentary baseball. I.e., when they hit, they don't pitch, etc. And Buck didn't have enough energy to turn on the television last year. So let's make Mendoza build a team. Let Nimmo, Lindor, and Alonzo lead a team. Build from within without the need for dominating uh, by acquiring aging, grumpy, overpaid, undermotivated, alleged superstars. Then, if things go well, you'll have the financial flexibility to pay Pete Alonzo a bucket full and co-currently buy mid and concurrently by midseason help to get to the postseason. You said if your plan stunk, you'd mock it. You won Sonny Gray. Consider yourself mocked. <laughs> I'm the, first of all, well, I got to defend myself here. I believe, based on Sonny Gray's past comments, that his failures with the Yankees was not about New York. It was about their insistence on throwing a pitch he didn't want to throw. And by the way, in my plan, I'm not signing Sonny Gray. I just mentioned he's good. And if I could get him on a short-term big money deal, I'd be open to it. I'm not giving Sonny Gray a five-year deal. I'll tell you that right now. But would I sign Sonny Gray, not that this would happen, to that two-year, $61 million deal? I would. I think that Steve Cohen has shown He's willing to go short-term big money. So while I disagree with um, Anthony's plan, mocking my love of Sonny Gray, how dare you? Uh, Here's the message Steve sends, and you can put it on the website, or and he can put it on the website. If GMs want a deal, give us a call. Agents, free agents, don't call us. We'll call you, and don't wait by the phone. Anthony in Houston. (laughs) Uh, Pete, what do you think of that plan? I mean, I, you, he's so wrong. It's not even funny. Like you want to build, you want to build within. We don't know who these guys are yet. Like we're sitting here talking about. Like last year, we finally saw Beatty. We finally saw Mauricio. We finally saw uh, Vientos, and we're still scratching our head. Like who who are these guys? We don't really know. And you're gonna say build within with the, the organization. Our biggest issue was last year the pitching. We have none right now. We yeah. have to go outside to get it. <laughs> Look, I, I think that Steve Cohen has shown us that he's good on the big money short-term deal, which allows you to build a farm system and build a roster with patience, but also in the short term, try to win, which he did with guys like Scherzer and Verlander. It obviously didn't work, but he has shown a willingness to have that plan. The second thing you could do as you're trying to build something is to sign guys who are young enough to long-term deals where their timeline is going to fit the Met timeline. So you're trying to win in the short term, but you're also 
knowing two, three years from now when Jet Williams and Luis Angel Acuna and Drew Gilbert and Kevin Parade and all these guys are up here, hey, that guy's going to fit this as well. I think that's the appeal of Yamamoto because he's only 25 years old. I don't think there's really an option to do nothing. And that's what he suggests. He's suggesting, let's just not really do anything. And I don't think that smart signings could negatively affect the same long-term plan he has that we all have. Like, look, one thing I don't want to do, and maybe you could mock this, I don't think our, our last guy would, is I'm not that interested in making a trade for Juan Soto. And it's nothing against Juan Soto. It's that I want to keep my kids. I don't want to break up my farm system for someone who's a free agent at the end of the year. Now, with that said, would I trade big prospects for a guy who's got control for the next three years? That's different. That's a different conversation. I, by the way, I don't know who that guy is. <laughs> I mean, maybe there's somebody we're not even thinking of. Maybe there's somebody who becomes available that we're not thinking of who's got four years of team control, who's on some kind of team-friendly deal, well, then yes, that's the kind of trade where I'd consider moving top prospects. But for guys who are free agents at the end of the year, as much as Shane Bieber and Corbin Burns and Juan Soto would help this team, I would agree with our last guy. I don't want to do that because I'm building towards something. So I disagree with him, but it was a different kind of plan, that's for sure. Junior Canales writes, Pete Nevin, this is my plan for what the Mets should do this offseason. Extend Pete Alonso eight years, 210. Sign Yamamoto, seven years, 184. I think it's going to cost more than that. Sign Jack Flaherty, two years, 30 million. Sign Matt Moore, two years, 15 million. Sign Lucas Giolito, two years, 30 million. Sign JD Martinez, one year, 15 million. I have two trades. Oh, I hate this one. Juan Soto for Jet Williams, Kevin Parada, and Alex Ramirez. You freaking crazy. No. No, no gracias. This one's interesting, though. Okay, this one I do. This this is the second trade I would do. Not sure the White Sox would. Vientos and Vassal for Dylan Cease. Okay. Nah, nah, we're talking. I'll be up for that. Look, be honest, it, it, the reason you make a trade like that for anyone who wants the pro, because I know I don't want to trade prospects. So you'd say, well, what are you talking about? If Mike Vassell turns in to what Dylan Cease is right now, we'd be pretty happy. Dylan Cease is 27 years old and he's a free agent in three more years. So like I said, you're giving me a guy with team control past this season. I'm giving up Mark Vientos, who I don't know what the hell he is. And Mike Vassell, who if he turns into Dylan Cease, We'd be pretty happy. Dylan Cease is young enough where I don't know if we know his upside yet, even though 2022, he was freaking awesome. I mean, almost won the Cy Young. But he's early returns a younger Aaron Nola in that he's made 32 starts three straight years. He's had an average year, a dominant year, and a very, very mediocre season. But all the while, makes 32 starts and throws 180 innings. So I look at Dylan Cease as a controllable, cheaper, younger, maybe even up a, high, a higher upside, Aranola. So I would make that trade. That's a good trade, Junior. Yeah, and Cease seems like he's on the block. I just saw something that like the the the, the order of teams that would be interested in in Cease. 
and like the Mets were somewhere like on seventh or eighth on the list of the teams that are like really interested. So he seems like he's someone that is attainable. Yes. And he's a guy I'd be interested in for a myriad of reasons, age, controllability, reliability. I, I, there is a value to guys that take the baseball every five days. And that's why whenever we talk about Aaron Nola, I don't want to put him down too much because he does that. And that's a great attribute to have. I just don't think Aaron Nola is going to fit the contract he gets. That, that's really what it comes down to. He's going to get, I, I think he's going to get close to $200 million if I had to guess. So yeah, Dylan Cease in a trade. And I have every reason to believe the White Sox would trade him. You pointed that out just based on where they are right now. You know, they're probably looking at last year's disaster saying, man, we got to just cash the hell out. And if they're going to do that, I'll tell you another guy I'd call about. Another guy where I would be willing to trade big prospects for because of their controllability, and that's Luis Robert Jr. Now, I'm not saying the White Sox are going to trade him, but he had a very solid year last year in almost 40 home runs, played just about every single day. He signed to a very affordable deal. That's the kind of deal, like, you're telling me you'd have to give up three, four big prospects, but you're getting back Dylan Cease and Luis Robert Jr.? Let's talk. Now we're having a conversation. I am more willing to trade big prospects in a deal like that than I am for Juan Soto. And you can justify trading away Jet Williams for someone with the last name Robert, who's close to Roberts, and get that jersey for Jet. <laughs> So you think my hesitation to trade Jet Williams is because he shares the name of my son? Is that what you think? Well, I, is it, isn't Jet a big fan of his already too? He is. No, no, he absolutely is because when I told him, "Hey, the Mets drafted a guy with your name," he was very excited. But besides that, because yeah, as a father, obviously, I want my kid to be happy. Jet Williams, just think about what he is as a baseball player. The way he's been described to us, he is going to own this town. When you are as tiny, and I know that's like an offensive kind of word to use to, to describe him. Like, I don't think Jose Altuve wants to be referred to as tiny. But Jet Williams is listed at 5'6". Listed. They say he's five foot six, And the guy has a little bit of pop. He plays like his ass is on fire. He performs at a high level, at the major league level, because obviously you have to perform. Jet Williams will be a... Uh, the most popular Met. It could blow everybody away. So it's not just the first name that he has. It's the idea of him. And he's still only 20 years old, man. Well, think about this. I mean, you compare him. Who's one of the most, in the over the past 10 years, who's one of the most prominent names in baseball? Besides Judge, besides Otani, who's Altuve? He's Altuve. He, yeah. I mean, he really is. Like, he's 5'6". He's got more pop than you realize at that size. Position-wise, I'm not sure where he's going to end up. He's a shortstop. He's played center field. I don't think he's actually played any second base. I think it's been mostly shortstop and center field. Look, where does he end up? He probably ends up in center field. You know, Brandon Nimmo is not long for the world in center field. He's going to end up as a corner outfielder. Uh, Luis Angel Acuna, I think, ends up everywhere. If I had to guess, I think he ends up as super utility. Question is, where does Ronnie Mauricio end up? Now, does he end up at third base? Does he end up as a super utility? Or does he end up being traded? Look, if you're talking about a trade for Luis Robert and Dylan Cease, Ronnie Mauricio's name is in that kind of trade. And that that's, look, what I want to make clear about this is that's the kind of trade where, yes, I would talk about names like that. You have to. 
But when you're talking about one-year rentals, potentially you resign them, but there's no guarantee. I don't believe the Mets right now going into this offseason are in that kind of position. Uh, let's take a look at our plans. We've heard a lot of very interesting ideas, a lot of variations on how the Mets can build this offseason. Let's hear what we have in mind. Pete, do you want to kick it off with the Pete Hoffman offseason plan? I would love to because there, there was something that came out this week and that really threw me for a um, a loop here because I've always been hell-bent that Alonzo needs to be a lifelong Met. I think that you can't replace the numbers he puts up on a regular basis. And one thing that the Mets need continuously, like I've been saying, it, is, is another bat on top of it. So to just get rid of Alonzo's power would be – a detriment. So the first thing is Pete Alonso is going to sign an extension. If it's not this year, he'll, he'll come back. But regardless, he's going to be on this team. So he's not getting traded. He's here. Second base is Mauricio. So that means McNeil is going to get traded away. I would, am going to trade McNeil and Narvaez in a package deal somewhere. Look for somebody else because I think Narvaez is a good catcher. He could start on some teams. He's not needed on this team, and I have a backup for you. We'll get to there in a second. Um, but McNeil and Navarez, I, I am 100% on getting bullpen. And I was talking about the, the Bednar trade before, Holderman, somebody else. To, you know what? Not for nothing. I know he didn't have the best season towards the tail end, but somebody that we need, we need bullpen arms, and I think McNeil and Narvaez can bring back a few of them. So you look around the league, I think that's a way to go. As far as pitching goes, Here's where it's going to get a little tricky because I don't know if you're going to be able to get keep Alonzo and keep, sign Yamamoto and Otani. It's one or the other. And to me, if I have to choose, I'm going to go Otani over Yamamoto. That means Yamamoto's not a Met next year, and I'm okay with that. I'll tell you why. Otani brings the offense. Otani is going to bring that extra piece to the offense that we've been missing. Okay. You'll fill the rotation in with Gray. You'll fill the rotation in with Trevor Bauer. And I'm sure we're going to sign one other low-end pitcher as well. Because you're going to need to. It's, it's just, it's, it is what it is. And Yamamoto, so, the, so the ace of the staff is going to be next year. Senga, Gray is going to be your two guy. Bauer and or uh, there's some other names out there. You, you talked about Kyle Gibson, somebody. I think that's another guy you could bring in too. Quintana's going to be back. So the rotation will be fine. It's not going to be the best, but again, short-term contracts. The reason why I'm going Otani is because the power that we're talking about. In the outfield, I think we're going to go more defensive-minded rather than going to go for the adding the offense. Outfield, Nimmo, we talked about not being center field for long. You're bringing back fam. And you're also signing Harrison Bader. Those two guys are going to be part of a four-team, four-player combo of Nimmo, Marte, as much as we possibly can get out of him, Bader and Pham. Bader, I know his injuries were terrible, but you'll get a cheap deal out of him again. And, and again, I'm not sitting here saying, let's, let's go low-end contracts, but really there's no prolific hitter offensively out there in the outfield that's going to come to this team of free agency. There's just none. You look through it. There's very minimal guys. So 
Go for guys who are more defensive-minded. The Kiermaier's are fine, but Kiermaier's a little bit older. I, I think that Bader is due for a bounce back, maybe a one-year deal. That's fine. That's all we're looking for. Um, and then as far as shortstop, it's going to be Lindor, obviously. Yeah, you, br- you bring Beatty and Vientos to, to fight it out for third base, and you'll bring a backup uh, catcher. Now, here's the one thing is, if we miss out on Otani, this is where you bring Yamamoto in and your DH for next year slash catcher, Mitch Garver. Mitch Garver? Okay. Mitch Garver. Dude, the guy had almost 20 home runs last year. Uh, he played majority DH. So you have that wiggle room with Alvarez and Garver. Both can switch back and forth. And then you get a Jock Peterson, like you said, too, to, to, to fill out the, the lefty-righty DH if you want to. There's tons to play with there. It's not as complex. It's not as sexy. But I think Otani is the play over Yamamoto, even though he's youthful. I just think he brings both. If you can give, if you can tell me that Otani is going to give you four out of ten years, because he's going to start a ten-year deal, four to ten years, he could pitch four years. I'll take that deal. Yeah, I, I think Otani is worth the risk. I do, and, and it's going to be a mega contract. It's going to be a contract like we've never seen before. But I think that the risk reward is there for him because I, I look at it this way with him. The risk is he never pitches. The risk is he can't do both. And what you get, I assume, is still a prolific left-handed slugger. So, yeah, you'll get a left-handed slugger who's vastly overpaid because you're technically paying him to do two things, but he's only able to do one thing. But what we've seen from Otani offensively over the last couple of years is he's getting better and better and better to the point where last year, just as an offensive player, he was like a left-handed Aaron Judge. And part of why I favor him over Soto when we were doing the whole Otani versus Soto pod is that I got one guy trending this way in Otani, I'm pointing up, and another guy trending this way in Soto who's more towards the middle, towards down, especially compared to the early part of his career. So if you've got a guy that could potentially do both, and I I get it, the word is now potential because he's not going to pitch in 2024, the reward is insane. Like, if he's what he was, oh, my God, it's a steal. You could pay him $60 million a year. That's a steal. But the negative is he doesn't pitch, and he's still a big-time slugger, and he still changes your lineup in such an incredible way, especially when you think about who the DH has been over the last couple of seasons. So, look, my offseason plan starts off this way. It's very similar to what Pete said and to what a lot of people have said. I'm big game hunting. I'm big game hunting for Shohei Otani and Yamamoto. Doesn't mean I'm going to get both of those guys. Doesn't mean I'm going to get either guy. Like my confidence level on signing Otani is not through the roof. My confidence level on Yamamoto is somewhere in the middle. I know they're hot for him. I know they're going to offer him a big contract, but I keep in the back of my mind that Yamamoto may not want to be a Met for some of the reasons we loud at earlier. So I go after both of those guys because I think both of those guys fit the timeline of the Mets competing in 24, but being really good in 25, 26, 27. In the case of Otani, he's not pitching this year, but the plan is for him to pitch in 25, 26, 27. In Yamamoto's case, it's the age. So I just start off with you and basically everybody else, and it's obvious those are the two guys I'm targeting the most. I understand it. 
I may not get both guys. And if I don't get either guy, you've got to pivot. So here's the way I'd build the rest of this rotation. I want a top-line guy. I want a high reward guy who may be coming off a bad year. And then I want someone who can just give me innings. So I've mentioned this before. Kyle Gibson is the guy who can give me innings. The two guys that fit the high reward area is Jack Flaherty and Luis Severino. Jack Flaherty is still young. He's still under 30. The problem with Jack is he just hasn't been great, and he hasn't been reliable. Like last year, he was traded to the Baltimore Orioles, and it just didn't happen. Like he pitched to a 6 ERA, so it's not as if getting traded to Baltimore and being in a new location for the first time in his career really did anything. He made seven starts. He pitched to a 6-7 ERA. Jack Flaherty has not pitched a full season and been effective since 2019 when he was 23 years old. But you never know. But there's that hope. But there's that maybe he can stay healthy for a full season. Maybe at age 28, because he's only 28 years old. This is his age 28 season. And his age and what he did four years ago, for me, is enough to still be, hey, you never know. And Luis Severino is the same thing. Now, can you sign both and stock up on a rotation of, hey, these guys haven't done it in a while, but you never know? No. I have one spot assigned for that. So, again, Kyle Gibson, Yamamoto, and either Jack Flaherty and Luis Severino, and I've just put together a five-man rotation along with Jose Quintana and Kodai Senga. If they fail on Yamamoto, the Bieber-Burns trade ideas I explore, but like I said earlier, I don't want to give up top prospects. If if it's a Jeff McNeil-esque kind of deal, and I don't think that's necessarily going to be the case for Milwaukee, maybe it's a little bit more likelier for Cleveland, where they say, hey, look, we're still trying to win. We know we can't sign Bieber, but we're still trying to win. Then I think McNeil could be appealing, but it would cost more. Some of the other reliable arms I was thinking about, if I can't get um, Kyle Gibson, kind of fit that mold. Michael Waka, we just have to forget what he did for us in 2020. But Michael Waka on like a three-year, $36 million deal. And Kenta Maeda on a short-term deal as well. Those are some of the arms I'd look at, but I think they need three arms. If it's not Yamamoto and you're not trading for Burns and Bieber, I become even more hot for Dylan Cease, who we talked about earlier. Three starters to fill out this rotation. Those are the names. Those are my top options, and those are the guys I pivot to. As far as the bullpen is concerned, I agree with most people who say bring in David Robertson. Matt Moore as the left-hander to add to Brooks Rally is another guy. Reynaldo Lopez, who did not have a great year for the White Sox, but has a live arm. He's a guy I would take a flyer on to finish out this bullpen. I am not throwing big money at Josh Hader. Now let's get to the lineup because the lineup part is, it's interesting because I think we've almost forgotten about it because we've talked so much about starting pitching and how important starting pitching is. I think they need to add an outfielder or two. So where do you go? Pete Hoffman, I give you a lot of credit. There's a name I wrote down and I hadn't heard his name mentioned. So I was all excited. Like, I'm going to present the name that no one's talked about. And you talked about him, and you nailed it. And that's Harrison Bader. Harrison Bader makes so much sense for the New York Mets for a few reasons. Number one, getting to watch him with the Yankees gave me a fair and full respect 
for how he plays center field. He is a brilliant defensive center fielder. He moves to the baseball in a way that almost doesn't look human. He gets such great jumps off the ball. So defensively, you are supplying yourself with a major upgrade. And Brandon Nimmo, fine in left field. The negative of Harrison Bader, because there are negatives. I don't want to act like this is some kind of steal. There's a reason why you're going to get him on a short-term deal not making a lot of money. Is A, he's never healthy. B, he's not a great offensive player. And I, I acknowledge that. But I think when filling out the outfield and looking at guys who are going to play out there, I put an emphasis on defense and I put an emphasis on I don't want to be sh- I don't want to be locked in with any of these guys long term. Like any of the outfielders I look at, I want on short term deals. I want them here for a year. Help me out. If things go well, great. If things don't go well, I trade them at the deadline and we move the hell on. And I would think that Bader is only going to be able to get a short term contract. That'd be my guess. I love the fact that I've improved defensively. I like the fact that he's a right-handed bat. And the reason I like that fact that he's a right-handed bat is because the other outfielder I want to add is another guy we've talked about, and that's Jock Peterson. Jock Peterson is not coming off a good year. That's good. That's a good thing. It's a good thing because he's coming off a one-year $19 million deal, and he didn't have a great year. So what the hell is he getting now? He's not getting a two-, three-year deal. I like adding Jock Peterson. If you add Jock Peterson and Harrison Bader on one-year deals, you have now given yourself a little bit of left-handed pop with Jock. You've improved yourself defensively with Bader, and you've protected yourself because Starling Marte is no sure thing to A, be good, and B, stay healthy. The other thing that's important is I'm keeping DJ Stewart around. It's only $2 million. Maybe he builds off of what we saw for a few months last year. And I throw him in the mix. He's just in the mix. He's not guaranteed an everyday job. But is he on the roster next year? Yeah. I thought he did enough at the end of 2023 for me to say, all right, that guy, that's on my roster. Now, I've gotten rid of Daniel Vogelback. He's gone. As far as DH is concerned, so here's the way I look at DH. There are a couple of bats I'm intrigued by that would come in as a can play first base to give Pete a break and also be a DH option. Number one is Rowdy Telez, who's available and has a connection to David Stearns. The other guy is Reese Hoskins. Reese Hoskins is such a great bounce-back candidate coming off that injury. The Phillies have essentially declared he's gone by the idea that Bryce Harper is an everyday first baseman. So getting Reese to stay in the NL East as this right-handed slugger that you could stick behind Pete Alonso to protect him. Who cares if they're both right-handed? Seriously, they need to protect Pete Alonso. Doesn't have to be a left-handed hitter. It's just got to be somebody who can protect him. Somebody who's a capable hitter. So Hoskins and Terlez are two guys I'm looking at to kind of fill the DH hole. But here's the caveat to all of this. If you sign a capable third baseman on a one-year deal, what that does is not only solidifies third base for a short term, but now I view DH very differently. Now, Beatty, Mauricio, DH options, as opposed to battling for third base. David Stearns made it seem, hey, I'm open to a competition at third base between Brett Beatty and Ronnie Mauricio. And if that's the case, I'm good with it. Go at a DH. But if you add Justin Turner to play third base on a one-year deal, and Justin Turner still has something left, man. He had a pretty good year last year for Boston. He'll hit you 280. He'll give you an 800 OPS. 
He'll miss a few games due to injury. He'll hit 15 to 20 home runs. He'll be okay at third base. He'll be passable at third base. And he can also DH too. But if you add Justin Turner to play third base, now you could say to Brett Beatty, you know what, kid, just freaking hit. You're the left-handed DH. Just go freaking hit. You might play some third base, but just go hit. Ronnie Mauricio can DH and then also fill in at third base, fill in at shortstop when Lindor needs a day, fill in at second base. I don't know about filling in the outfield because it doesn't seem like they're that hot for that. So it doesn't have to be Reese Hoskins. It doesn't have to be Rowdy Telez. J.D. Martinez, I'm only doing on a one-year deal. And I do not have faith he's going to have the kind of year he had last year. In fact, all these guys are one-year deals. Like every single bat I'm talking about, Turner, Telez, Hoskins, Jock Peterson, Harrison Bader, it's all short-term. It's all, I'm just filling the void until my prospects are ready. But I'm very intrigued by Reese Hoskins. You get him on a one-year deal, he could match 35, 40 home runs in this lineup, and then you pat him on the ass and say goodbye. And you say, thank you for your time. That's my off-season plan. You like my off-season plan, Pete? I do. I do. Um, I love the Bader, actually. That mean, like we talked about that. That, I think, is a significant upgrade, especially defensively, because we talked about Nimmo took a step back last year defensively. Um, question to you, the one thing you, you mentioned about third base, like if it's not Turner and I and I don't like him and I don't want him, but people mention Matt Chapman, is I don't think you're getting him on a one-year deal. But again, he didn't do enough last year to to warrant this huge contract. This You're not going to get him on a huge no. deal, like a 10-year deal. So would that be someone that you bring no. in? Because he definitely secures the defense. Matt Chapman is an utterly brilliant defensive third baseman. I want to make that clear before I rip the, before I rip him to shreds. Because he is. He's a great defensive third baseman. He's not a great hitter, and there's no way in hell he's signing a one-year deal. He's signing a five-year, $90 million contract, and I want nothing to do with it. I, I think offensively, because of all the prospects they have on the horizon, and by horizon, I mean a year or two. I mean, soon. They have a lot of pieces coming up. Jet Williams is thinking and is at least saying, I'm going to be in the major leagues before 2024 is done. I don't know if I agree with him, but it's a great incentive to have that Jet Williams feels that way. Luis Angel Acuna is not far. He's not far at all. Uh, They have so many young bats on the horizon that unless you're a superstar, unless you're a game changer, I do not want to be locked in long-term with you. And that's why I mention a lot of these names. Like Jimmer Candelario is another guy. Look, he's going to sign a one-year deal. Fine. I don't know if he is, by the way. And if he's not, then go somewhere else. But I want all of these guys on short-term deals because they already have Lindor signed long-term, Nimmo signed long-term, McNeil and Marte relatively long-term, not as long-term as the other two. We'll see about Pete. And I got all these guys coming up. I, I don't need to be locked in long-term. Again, unless it's a game changer. And when you look at the free agents offensively, Otani's different. Just put him aside. He's a DH pitcher. Like, he's something He's something else. There really isn't anybody out there I'd want to be married long-term to. So that's my rule of thumb when I'm adding these bats. All got to be one-year deals. Like, if Justin Turner, and he's not, but if Justin Turner's insisting on a three-year deal, no effing way. Then I'm not even talking about it. All right, so... I get that, and I'm I'm all for it. 
question about the like, – I have two more questions for you. Bench, because you, you talked about, like, you know, DJ Stewart's getting the roster, right? All right, that's fine. But, you know, last year we had too many guys that were on the bench that just didn't do enough. There were these one, one-trick ponies and just didn't do enough. Stewart, I think, is more versatile than some others. But, like, are you going to keep Stewart and Guillaume and Narvaez? And, I mean, Vogelbach's obviously not there, but, like, Rowdy Tellez, if he's going to be on this team, you're talking about another guy who basically is, you know, a threat of pop, but it's more a threat than actuality. Well, I, how am I building the bench? I think that, obviously, Narvaez is there or another backup catcher is there. There's going to be somebody there who's a backup catcher who you're not going to love. Luis Guillorme is perfect because of just the versatility he has and the defense that he can play. You know, if I'm playing Justin Turner at third base, I do sign him to a short-term deal. I'm going to probably want to replace him defensively in the eighth inning when I have a couple of run lead. DJ Stewart, perfect bat off the bench. Don't poo-poo that. Like, DJ Stewart, if he can be 70% of what he was last year, and maybe he won't. You know, maybe he's not going to be anything. But he's definitely earned that right to be a bat off the bench. And then there's going to be somebody, because if my plan is laid out, maybe Harrison Bader's on the bench one day. Maybe Jock Peterson's on the bench one day where that's basically your bench, where that's how it's filled out. Uh, you've got four guys usually on your bench. So between DJ Stewart, Luis Guillorme, the backup catcher, and one of the outfielders I add not being in the lineup that day, that's your bench. Uh, I, I would love to have a speedster on the bench. I know Timmy LaCastro is no longer on the 40-man, but if they want to bring him back as the stolen base extraordinaire, I still want that. It's valuable, man. You could shake your head all you want. It's you don't the, it, want a it, guy it, coming off the bench stealing second base. No, it's valuable. But here's the thing is when you have a bench that just has these guys that all they do is one thing, that got us into issues. That's all, that's all I'm saying. I don't disagree with you that you could have – if you could have one guy who could do it all a little bit, like if LaCastro had a little bit more pop and had the speed, that'd be great that we don't need DJ Stewart. Or we don't need Tim. You can't have this one guy that all he can do is one thing. It needs to be a little bit more multi-dimensional. Not five tool. Give me at least two. I think what's really <laughs> interesting about this exercise of my plan, your plan, all the emails we read, all the dignitaries we had. The real question is, what do we think is going to happen? You know, we we all have our plans, but how the hell does this off season go? If they don't end up with Yamamoto, it seems like it's a disaster to a lot of Med fans. <laughs> well, if okay, how about this? If they don't get Yamamoto or Otani, I mean, it's a possibility. If you're talking about the Japanese culture, that they don't want to go and tread on, on Senga's, uh, you know, territory. I mean, you're gonna miss on both. And then what are they in? Well, it, the likeliest scenario is that they miss out on both, and that's not for an act of trying. That's just the reality. I mean, you're talking about two of the top free agents in all of Major League Baseball. The Mets may have the biggest offer on both guys. Doesn't mean both guys are going to come. And like I've said before about this, I think after those two, their targets are going to be a lot less. They're not going to then pivot to Aaron Nola. They're then not going to pivot to Blake Snell. I don't see it happening. So a lot of the smaller names we've talked about on this pod, whether it be starting pitching names, whether it be some of the offensive players' names. That's what we're looking at if they don't land the top fish. And also, 
how aggressive will they be in the trade market? In my opinion, I don't want to be that aggressive on guys on one-year deals. We'll see if David Stearns agrees or disagrees. But the Rico will be with you every step of the way, analyzing every move that happens and every move that doesn't happen. We do appreciate everyone who emailed. We apologize. We couldn't get to every email. We got a lot of them. But you can email us as the offseason goes on, and we'll try to read as many as we can at B at gmail.com, B at gmail.com. A lot of Ricos to get into, not just throughout Met history Ricos, but some of the current offseason agenda items, including a closer look at third base. Is it really going to be a competition between Brett Beatty and Ronnie Mauricio? Are there other options at third base besides the guys we just talked about? We'll get into that as the Rico rolls on and obviously react to everything that happens during this offseason. We appreciate you listening and downloading Rico Bronya. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. 